0: America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast, it's baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy
1: Labor Day to one and all. Hopefully you guys are having a nice day off of work if you are working like I am. Hopefully you are being laborious, and hopefully things are going well, and hopefully this is an escape for you. As we are back here in the Azuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, as it is Greg Peterson taking you through once again. And we've got one of our favorites joining the podcast today, Curtis Rogers. He does pre and post game work for the Seattle Mariners with 710 ESPN out there in the lovely city of Seattle. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so on something I like to call Touch of all. First things first, we got one Twitter question into the Twitter mailbag. As always, feel free to fire those in at GNRSQUARTY1. So since you guys asked it, you guys are getting an answer.
0: So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag.
1: This one comes to us from one of our buddies, Rye. You can follow him on Twitter at RY34164219 at United SquareD1. So if you ever ever have kids, would you show them the world of sports betting? For one, I need, I'm a far ways away from being at the point where I'm going to have kids. So we need that bridge to be crossed first. But it's one of those things where for one, would that kid be interested in sports or not? And It's one of those things that I would sort of let them come to me on that. I'm sure that my kid would want to know what I do a little bit more for a living, and I would just tell them the honest truth that, you know what, I do some sports betting, I do some podcasting, I get into this, I get into that, and let the child make their own decision. It's one of those situations where you don't want them to have, like, earmuffs on or anything like that, but at the same time, it's not like, oh, son, I encourage you to bet degenerately on this Wrigley Field Series between the Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers either. So, it's one of those things where you let kid make their own decision. I can tell you, my dad works in IT. He does a very good job of it. Makes a good living. And at the same time, he sort of told me a little bit about what he did. And he sort of left it at that. Didn't really encourage me one way or the other, obviously. I would never got into IT or anything like that. I'm a total moron, which is why I went to radio, TV, film for college. Because I didn't have to take hard classes. So... It's one of those things where you always let the kid make their decision. That's a little bit more of a life question rather than a gambling question but I do think it's worth bringing up because sports betting is being legalized in more and more states so it's going to be more and more mainstream so I do think it's a talk that more and more people are going to have with their kids so I do appreciate the question as always fire those in at GNRS41 please do not send them to the timeline I do not check my DMs and quite frankly you want no part of them so always feel free to tweet those into the timelines we had a busy day on Sunday though so let's take a look back at yesterday's results let's try to find some trends let's try to become better handicappers from it.
0: So what teams and players is Greg looking to back? He will lay it on you in the call-up.
1: The St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds, much like Saturday, played a double dip, and we got ourselves some pretty low-scoring games. One game went over, that would be game two, but game one stayed under as the St. Louis Cardinals were able to mount a rally and get a 4-3 to win over the Cincinnati Reds. For the Cincinnati Reds, Eugenio Suarez was able to get the scoring going early. His 40th home run of the year That came off of Miles Mikolas as Mr. Mikolas wound up giving up Three runs over the course of six innings. Nothing great, but nothing awful. But the St. Louis Cardinals, with the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the all break, they once again were very sharp. They went three innings, giving up just one hit. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they were able to play a lot of small ball. They entered into the bottom of the seventh inning down by a count of three to one, and they scratch across. One run in every inning to get the win. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Tyler Molly, 4-19, and 19, at least the team is, in his last 23 starts. But he was good in this one. Six and a third innings. Gives up two runs, only one of which were earned. He was hurt by a trio of errors out there in the field, one of which was his own. So, once again, why is it that these runs are unearned when the pitcher makes the errors? I will never know, but... With that said, once again, it was a bullpen that blew this game. Now, part of it is not on them. They wind up going for a total of five outs. They give up two runs, only one of which was earned. But you do have to have your concerns with the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. But it looked a whole heck of a lot better in game two as the Cincinnati Reds took that one by a count of five to three. For the Reds, it was Philip Irvin being able to go deep for his fifth home run of the year, and Nick Senzel as 12th. These are two rookies that figure to have a big impact on the Reds moving forward. And Luis Castillo, not a great start, but certainly not a bad one. He's not quite the same on the road as he is at home, but... He advances his record to 14-5, and six innings pitch, gives up three runs. The three walks are a little bit of an issue, and he did give up a home run, going deep for the St. Louis Cardinals in this one. Mr. Andrew Knizzer, hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. That was his second of the campaign. And then from there, the Cincinnati Reds bullpen, combined three innings, they go up just one hit, so that was very solid there. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they did not get the start that they wanted out of Daniel Ponce de Leon. He winds up going four innings giving up four runs, three of which were earned. This is a guy that has been terrific at the AAA level, but at the Major League level has not put it all together. But once again, the Cardinals bullpen was terrific. They go a combined five innings, giving up just one run in the process. Keep in mind, the St. Louis Cardinals played over 60% of their home games to the under and they wound up essentially splitting here. The Oakland A's bullpen is a massive concern right now as they take a 4 to nothing lead over the Yankees going into the bottom of the 8th inning and they lose by a count of 5-4. For those of us that were on the Oakland A's, this is just brutal. It looks like Matt Olsen's in- Insurance home run in the 8th was going to be enough. That was his 28th of the campaign, but for the New York Yankees, they were able to get a walk-off home run from Mike Ford, his 10th of the campaign. And Brett Gardner also went deep in the ninth inning for his 19th home run of the year. As Liam Hendricks has been terrific for the Oakland A's as a closer, but he wound up giving up those two home runs in the ninth. And this bullpen in general winds up going a combined 3 innings, giving up 5 runs, all of which were earned. And Sean Minea, his first start in over a calendar year, actually looked quite good. He winds up going 5 innings, he gives up 1 hit, no earned runs, he was absolutely spectacular. He wound up getting out of a bases loaded jam as well. So I had to like what you saw there. And for Japp, App, a much better start than I think anyone expected. He went six innings against a lineup that just meshes bad left hand in pitching. He had been giving up 2.1 home runs per nine innings. He did give up four walks, but only one hit. From there, the bullpen, which was made up of a lot of guys that you don't expect. You had Chance Adams coming into the game in this one. You also had Ryan Dull being able to... Supply a couple innings. They want to combine three innings, giving up four runs. So that was more of, or less, a product of the Yankees sending out there their, their C team bullpen. But they wind up giving up those runs. But at the same time, they do manage a win. And for the New York Yankees, this is a team that has been very dominant at home, as their home record is now. 51-21, so they're not quite on the Dodgers level, but they're pretty stinking close. We have to go to the headline game of the day, as the Houston Astros take down the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 2-0. But in this one, Justin Verlander, a no-hitter in which he gave out just one walk, 14 strikeouts. He was just dealing in this one. Now for the Toronto Blue Jays, they had just three guys in the lineup with a batting average above a 233, which can explain a little bit of it. And the Toronto Blue Jays, a bottom three team in the big leagues with regards to batting average at home. And this was a game that honestly could have went to extra innings. As for the Toronto Blue Jays, they were able to get eight shutout innings and then Ken Giles gives up a two-run home run in the ninth inning. As being able to supply that power, Abraham Toro, his second home run of the year. The least likely guy of the Houston Astros to get that home run. And now for the Astros, they're getting some great pitching. This was the... Second time in, I believe, their last 14 games in which they scored fewer than four runs. But Justin Verlander, even though he's lost a lot as a favorite, now 17 and 5, so he is certainly rolling in the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, that's just a pathetic showing right there. The Cleveland Indians had a little bit of a woeful showing themselves on Sunday as they wind up losing to the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of eight to two. For the Cleveland Indians, they went one of ten with men in scoring position. They just couldn't cash in. And for Adam Plutko, he had been very good coming into the start recently, but goes four in the third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. in. a Cleveland Indians bullpen, which has led the majors in ERA all this year. They were not sharp in this one. They go three and two-thirds innings, giving up four runs, all of which were a good sign, though. Carlos Carrasco has been dealing with so much. He returned to the mound in this one. He gave up one run in one inning. I was hoping that would be a zero just because the guy has went through so much. So you do feel good for him. And you also have to feel good for Charlie Morton, a guy that has lost six decisions essentially since late June. He had a very good start in this one. Five and a third innings, giving up one run, eight punch-outs. From there, the bullpen was able to do their job, three and two-thirds innings, giving up just one run in the process for the Tampa Bay race. They got one home run in this one, and that came off the bat of Nathan Lowe, his sixth home run of the year. He has been doing a great job for the team, hitting above a 300 he He's been up and down, but the Tampa Bay Rays seem to be going on a little bit of a hot streak right now. Meanwhile, the Indians, they just seem to be clumping wins and losses together. It's a little bit interesting. The Minnesota Twins just continue to clump wins together whenever they play against the Detroit Tigers, though. 8-3 the final in this one. By the way, in the last eight matchups between the Twins and the Tigers, seven of the matchups have won over. The other was a push on the total, and for the Minnesota Twins, Twins. They didn't even get a home run in this one. They now have the record for most home runs in a season, but 7 of 12 with men in scoring position is how they were able to get the job done. And Michael Pineda, a man that has given up more than 3 home runs just twice since the beginning of April. Another good start. 6 innings pitch. Gives up 2 runs, both of which were earned. Bullpen from there with Sam Dyson leading it. Gives up 1 run over the course of 3 innings. Going deep for the Detroit Tigers off of Mr. Dyson with D. Mercer in 7th, but all in all, very good joining for the Minnesota Twins as Spencer Turnbull has not been the same ever since he suffered that injury in June. Four and two-thirds innings. Gives up six runs, all of which were in. He's done a good job of not giving up the long ball, but with that said, he has not been the same pitcher. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers bullpen goes three and a third innings. They give up two runs. Nothing great, nothing awful there, but for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that has been historically bad at home so far this year as the home record of the Detroit Tigers. And they are the least profitable team at home so far this year, in case you were wondering. 18-48, and 48, meanwhile, the Minnesota Twins' most profitable road team out there in the big leagues. 45-23 and 23 is their record. Now, another team that has been nails on the road so far this year, how about the Boston Red Sox, as they are able to get a 4-3 to win over the LA Angels? David Price was making his first start off the injured list, and this was essentially a relief appearance for him. He served as a glorified opener, I guess you could say. Two innings pitch, he winds up getting two strikeouts, he gives up one hit. From there, you had the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, which had one of the best ERAs out there in the big leagues in the month of August. Going combined seven innings, they give up three runs in the process. and a bunch of guys giving two and one innings. And for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to get this one thanks to a pair of home runs in the third inning. J.D. Martinez, his 34th home run of the year. And for Xander Bogarts his 31st. As Andrew Heaney was the victim of those two home runs. He goes five innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, the bullpen of the LA Angels seems to be improving a little bit. They wind up going four innings. They don't give up a single run, so kudos to them, and then Justin Upton in the 8th inning wound up ruining my run line of the Boston Red Sox. I'm a little bit bitter there. His 10th home run of the year, but all in all, the Boston Red Sox now 11 games above 500 on the road. At home, they are exactly 500, so that's a little bit of a weird split. You've also had some weird splits with the Miami Marlins as over 60% of their road games have won under. Over 60% of their home games have won over. And in this one, the Washington Nationals just pounded the tar out of the poor fish by a count of 9-3. to three. For Patrick Corbin, he entered into this game having an ERA right around 1 in his last 9 home starts. He actually did get touched up a bit. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Bullpen from there winds up going three scoreless innings. But for the Washington Nationals, they were just able to... Get the runs late as the Marlins actually had a 3-2 to lead in this one. And then the Washington Nationals just played home run derby from there. As it was Anthony Rendon once again being a catalyst for this team. He winds up getting his 32nd home run of the year. Jan Gomes, who has struggled all year long. His 7th. Juan Soto, his 31st. And then Ryan Zimmerman, fresh off the injured list, his 4th. As for the Miami Marlins. Caleb Smith continues to be a guy you can't bet on. Five and a third innings. He gives up seven runs, six of which were earned, including all three of those home runs. He's out giving up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings. Bullpen from there. Goes two and two-thirds innings. They give up two runs in the process. Needless to say, things not go in the way of the Marlins, but a good sign for them is they did get a home run off the bat of Sterling Castro, his 16th of the year. That came off of Patrick Corbin. The Kansas City Royals were able to take down the Baltimore Orioles by kind of six to four, and this one for the Kansas City Royals, a home run from Whit Merrifield was really the difference. His 16th of the campaign as all three of the games in this series wound up going over, and the Orioles in general have been playing a lot of overs, the Royals have been struggling with their bats, but they seem to be Coming a little bit more of an over team as well as Danny Duffy. Not a great, but not an awful start. Six and a third innings, gives up four runs, three of which were earned for the Baltimore Orioles. They weren't able to crank out any home runs, but they were able to get eight hits. Problem with them is they went one of 10 with men in scoring position. And Aaron Brooks, he didn't throw any interceptions, but he wound up throwing bad enough that he gave up three runs over the course of four and a third innings. Bullpen from there of the Baltimore Orioles. Three and two-thirds innings. They give up three runs, all of which were earned. Not a good performance there from the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, but a very good performance was had from the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen. They wind up taking down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 4-0. to For the Milwaukee Brewers, Gio Gonzalez was essentially a glorified opener in this one. Three innings pitch. Doesn't give up any earned runs. He had only 22 strikes and 56 pitches, but you know what? Despite the four walks, he was able to get out of it. And then from there, the Milwaukee Brewers get a combined six innings out of the bullpen. They give up just four hits in the process, and Josh Ader is able to get the save in this one. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, the big hit in this one came in the ninth inning. They were up by a count of one to zero, and then Christian Yelich with a yelly bomb off of Craig Kimbrell, 42nd home run of the year for Mr. Yelich. And for the Chicago Cubs, their bullpen has actually been pretty good recently. They had to have Tyler Chatwood as a starter in this one, as Hugh Darvish was a late scratch. Chatwood winds up taking the loss, going three and two-thirds innings, giving up one run. That's a little bit of a tough loss, in my opinion, considering got seven strikeouts. From there, the bullpen of the Chicago Cubs wasn't necessarily awful. Craig Gimbrel has been a guy you can't really rely upon with his 568 ERA, but the team as a whole in the bullpen, five and a third innings, they give up three runs. Problem is, the Chicago Cubs 0-10 with many scoring position, they wind up not scoring a single run in the last two games of the series, and for the Brewers and the Cubs, in their last 14 games of which they've met at Wrigley Field, just two of those games have went over. The Seattle Mariners have seen over 80% of their games in which Yusei Kikuchi start go over, and it was another addition as the Seattle Mariners in this one was able to get the win by a count of 11-3. For the Texas Rangers this is a team that's 11 games above 500 at home but in this one they weren't able to muster a lot of offense against a guy in you say Kikuchi who has struggled all year long for Kikuchi. Five innings pitch gives up three runs all of which were earned but the Seattle Mariners bullpen has actually been quite good lately. They were in the top half of the league with regards to bullpen ERA in the month of August and they go four innings not giving up a single earned run. And for the Seattle Mariners they played a little bit of home run derby as they got a trio of them. Tom Murphy is 17th home run of the year. Daniel Vogelback, his 29th Kyle Zieger, who's on fire by the way, right now, is 19th as for the Texas Rangers. Blake Martin was the opener, and it was a bullpen day for this team, and he did not deliver what he was supposed to. He got two outs, and he gave up four runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, that was not good from there. The guy that I think was supposed to be a boat guy, I'm not quite sure. Luke Farrell, he winds up going two and a third innings, giving up two runs, including two solo home runs, and the bullpen in general of the Texas Rangers had to be relied upon for eight and a third innings. In the process, they give up seven runs, all of which were earned, so that was not good, and neither was the team going one of 11 with men in scoring position, so that's a game that they just want to forget about. The Colorado Rockies want to forget about their whole series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, as the Pirates have now won seven out of their last 10 games. They wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies by kind of 6-2. Stephen Brault, under the radar, very good pitcher in his last 14 starts. He's given up more than three earned runs of just one of them. Six and a third innings, he gives up two runs, just one of which were earned including a home run in the process and then from there, the Pittsburgh Pirates go two and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen. They don't give up a single run. Getting that home run was Nolan Arenado's 35th of the year, but that was a lone bright spot as Jeff Hoffman. Actually, a decent start in this one. This is a guy that currently has a 735 ERA, but he winds up giving up just two runs of five innings, but Once again, the Colorado Rockies show why they've got the worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the all-star break, though. Really can't blame them in this one as they wind up being hurt by a trio of errors. The bullpen goes a combined four innings. They give up four runs. Only one of which was earned, though. So, obviously, that was a little bit of an issue for the Rockies. And Coors Field seeing a lot of unders right now. As in the last 18 games I've played at Coors Field, just four of them have won over. The San Francisco Giants have actually been playing quite a few overs recently. They're just not the same team at home as they are on the road, though, as... The San Diego Padres were able to get an 8-4 win on Sunday. And for the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that's actually cleaned up on the road so far this year. Their road record, 36-32. and 32. Meanwhile, at home, they are merely a 30-38. and 38. I find that very interesting. It might have to do with the starting pitching, as Jeff Samarja, going into this start, had been nails. He had given up more than two earned runs in just one start ever since the beginning of the month of July. In this one, he gives up six runs over the course of five and a third innings, giving up two runs in the process. Meanwhile, for the bullpen of the Giants, it hasn't been as good as it was at the beginning of the year. They wind up going three and two-thirds innings. They give up two runs in the process, and for the Padres, they were able to get quite a few home runs in this one. Ty France, a guy that has been struggling all year long, goes deep for his third and fourth home runs of the campaign, and Greg Garcia is fourth as well. Eric Lauer, not necessarily the greatest start in the world, but he got the job done. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including nine punch outs. For the San Francisco Giants, they were able to get two home runs off of him. Going deep, Evan Longoria is 18th of the year and Kevin Pilar is 20th, but the Padres bull bullpen seems to be getting a little bit better. They wind up going and combine three innings. They don't give up a single run and just one hit in the process. So they certainly were able to do their job. And for the San Diego Padres, this is a team that's actually been pretty decent on the road. Their road record now sits at 33 and 35, which is a little bit better than their home record as at home so far this year, this is a team that is 29 and 37. So I don't know why, but the NL West teams, aside from the L.A. Dodgers seem to be doing a better job on the road than they are at home. But speaking of the Dodgers, they were able to get a road win themselves. 4-3 to in 11 innings against the Arizona Diamondbacks. For the Dodgers, Ross Stripling winds up going three innings as a starter slash bulk guy. He didn't give up a single earned run, and then Derek May, who has been used as a starter, winds up following him, and he gave up all three runs in this one while recording just one out, but then from there, the bullpen of the Dodgers, not including Derek May, wind up delivering seven and a third innings, giving up two hits in the process. They have been absolutely lights out. This is a Dodgers bullpen that is in the top three in the National League with regards to ERA, and for the Dodgers, they were able to get all all their home runs via the home run. Four solo shots in this one. Russell Martin is fifth of the campaign. David Freeze fresh off the injured list. His tenth, Jock Peterson is 28th, and Cody Ballinger is 43rd. As for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were able to get a decent start in this one from Alex Young. Didn't provide the best of length, but four and a third innings, he gives up two runs, two of those sole home runs. And then the Arizona Diamondbacks' bullpen actually seems to be a little bit improved. They wind up going and combined six and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs in the process. Taylor Clark, a guy that's actually a starter, wound up taking loss in this one. And for the Diamondbacks, they just weren't able to generate a whole lot of offense. They went three of six with Ben and scoring position, but this is a Diamondbacks team that is in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game at home. On the road, they're in the top 10, so interesting split there. Lucas Giolito so far this year has been one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, but he cannot lead the White Sox to victory on Sunday as the Atlanta Braves get a 5-3 to win, and for Giolito, one of his worst starts of the year, six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all which were earned, including two dingers. Bullpen from there, winds up giving up one run in two innings as going deep for the Atlanta Braves. Freddie Freeman twice. It's 37th 38th home runs of the year. Five R. B.I. He now is 114 for the year, and Julio Teheran has given up more than two earned runs in just four starts since the beginning of the month of May, and once again it was terrific. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. The four walks are an issue, but he just continues to get out of it, and the Atlanta Braves seem to be doing a little bit better in the bullpen right now. They wind up getting a combined three innings, giving up one run in the process, and for the White Sox, this is a team that has just not been generating a lot on offense ever since the All-Star break. They're in the bottom five in the big leagues in regards to run's Game and then the night concluded with two teams in the NLEs trying to keep their playoff hopes alive going at and the Philadelphia Phillies emerged victorious by a count of five to two for the Philadelphia Phillies. They had been looking like the sillies a little bit as of late, but Brad Miller was able to get a home run early off of Marcus Stroman in his fifth of the campaign, and the Mets bullpen, which has been vastly better recently. They were in the bottom three in the big leagues with regards to ERA in the first half of the year. They entered into Sunday in the top five. They wind up blowing this one, and it was our good friend Jursic Familia. Typically, he's Spanish for blown save, and this one, he's Spanish for blown hold. He winds up giving two, up two runs in an inning, and Even more surprising is the fact that Mickey Callaway put in before Familia Daniel Zamora. He's got a 7-11 ERA, which means that he's always open to giving up runs. That really cost the team. As Marcus Stroman gave his best start as a New York Mets. Six innings pitch, gives up two runs, including that solo home run for the Mets. Really, their lone offense in this one was Pete Alonso, His 43rd home run of the year. That came in the first inning off of Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin, before his most recent couple starts, had been Eflin awful, but in this one, he goes seven innings, giving up that lone solo home run, and the bullpen from there gives up one run, and that one run was scored on wild pitch. So needless to say, Mets were not able to get a whole lot generated on offense. So let's take a look at what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Sunday. The St. Louis Cardinals are continuing to get very good bullpen pitching and the Cincinnati Reds are getting good starts right now. Luis Castillo, but the bullpen not helping out matters. The Oakland A's certainly are not getting good bullpen pitching right now. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees continue their dominance at home. Justin Verlander just absolutely amazing for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays are not hitting for average. The Cleveland Indians are starting to have their bullpen Walter on them a little bit. Meanwhile, Charlie Morton looks like he's back to being the old Charlie Morton. The Twins continue to dominate the Detroit Tigers and whenever the Twins and Tigers hook up, you can count on a lot of overs. Meanwhile, you can count on a lot of unders whenever the Milwaukee Brewers and Chicago Cubs hook up. The Cubs are still winning about 64% of their home games, but they have now lost 5 out of their last 6 at Wrigley Field. The Baltimore Orioles and the Kansas City Royals are both playing a lot of overs and both these bullpens let's face it, not very good and neither of the starting pitchers, Danny Duffy and Aaron Brooks that we saw on Sunday not good either. Patrick Corbin continues to be a winning pitcher whenever he pitches in the city of Washington. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins are just getting dominated whenever they are on the road, not being able to generate a lot of offense. You can always count on overs whenever you say Kikuchi takes them out. And it looks like the Seattle Mariners are getting some better bullpen pitching. The Pittsburgh Pirates look to be back on track after they were just absolutely awful coming out of the gates since the All-Star break. Meanwhile, the Colorado Rockies, they're just not getting a whole lot to go their way. And they're actually playing a surprising amount of unders right now. The San Francisco Giants off offense, just not the same at home as it is on the road. They average right around 3.3 runs per game at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they are averaging 5.3, and that's reflected in their record. Meanwhile, the San Diego Padres doing a pretty decent job on the road. Boston Red Sox continue to be road warriors, and their bullpen has been performing quite admirably. Meanwhile, with the LA Angels, their bullpen is starting to come around as well. The Dodgers are also getting some good bullpen pitching, and this is a team that is getting a whole lot of guys that are being able to go yard, though they're not really hitting for average right now. Meanwhile, the Chicago White Sox are still getting some pretty good performances from Lucas Giolito on the bullpen, but the offense needs to pick it up. Meanwhile, Freddie Freeman for the Antliner Braves on an absolute terror. The Philadelphia Phillies and New York Mets are both playing their way a little bit out of the wildcard contention, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, you just don't know what you're going to get from this team game-to-game, to be honest with you. So, that is what we all noticed from baseball on Sunday. Now, let's talk to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out in Seattle. Talk about some of the pitching matchups that we're going to be having on Monday. Also talk about some of the playoff races we have going on in September college as well. And that is coming up right here on MLB Overtime Bay.
0: Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia hotline.
1: And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zuni Kill Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. Always nice to have this man on. You can follow him on Twitter at one of the best Twitter handles out there at a kid from Kent. This is a guy that's doing terrific work for ESPN 710 out in the lovely city of Seattle. He hosts Mariners pre and post game shows. He also does the Sports Night in Seattle podcast. He does some show hosting as well, and he's just One of the most knowledgeable baseball minds I know it is Curtis Rogers, a man that I've had the great pleasure of working with back when I was in the city of Portland. And Curtis, how are you today?
2: Doing good, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, there's just a month left of the regular season here. A lot of people's focuses have turned to college football, the NFL, but there's still a lot of good races going on in baseball. And now we've got 40-man call-ups, so there's going to be a lot of new faces out there that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks.
1: There certainly is going to be a lot of new faces, and I'm sure that there aren't overly many people that are going to be familiar with the gentleman that's starting for the Seattle Mariners on Monday, as it is going to be Justice Sheffield going up against Kyle Hendricks and the Chicago Cubs. And, well, right now, the respect is not being shown towards Justice Sheffield. As taking a look at the Vegas line. Right now, the Seattle Mariners have bought a plus 250 underdog Kyle Hendricks. If you want to take the Cubs on the money line and take them to win minus 275, What do you make of this? Because I do think that there is some value here with the Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield, a solid pitcher, and I just don't understand why the line is quite this lopsided because Justice Sheffield has some good stuff.
2: He does. He certainly has some great stuff. We saw a little hint of that his last start out against the New York Yankees, but he's had a lot of trouble just putting together, you know, efficient innings. He's seen his pitch count get up early in games. But against the Yankees, there was a stretch there where he struck out their three through six batters all in a row. So he had four strikeouts in a row against the heart of the Yankees order. And as we all know, you know, the Yankees, they have the best record in baseball this year. They're the first team to 90 wins. And, you know, that was a really interesting, like eyebrow-raising moment in Sheffield's early major league career. The story on him this season is there were a lot of expectations on him coming out of spring training. The Mariners sent him down to AAA to get a little more seasoning. And then, for whatever reason, the wheels fell off or maybe he just fell victim to the juiced balls down at the AAA level. And the Pacific Coast League, where the Mariners AAA affiliate plays, the Tacoma Rainiers, that is a league that is conducive to a lot of big offensive numbers. And he fell victim to that, and so the Mariners then demoted him a level further down to Double A Arkansas, and he saw his numbers significantly improve. He had an ERA just above two, and you know he was really the pitcher that they all kind of expected when they acquired him from the Yankees organization in exchange for James Paxton this last offseason. So, you know, I think Mariners fans right now they're just hoping for consistent improvement from Justice Sheffield, and as we've seen from. The Cubbies' offense over the last couple of days—they've gone really quiet. So maybe just maybe this is a sort of a trap game again for the Cubs as they find themselves in the thick of a nationally wild card race, and the Mariners maybe potentially playing a little bit of a, a spoiler role.
1: Yep, you take a look at the Chicago Cubs over the last two days against the Milwaukee Brewers have been so inconsistent this year. They have scored as many runs as you and me, as Curtis Rogers of (laughs) 710 ESPN out in Seattle. Joining me right here on the podcast. And speaking of those Milwaukee Brewers, they're going to be taking on the Houston Astros. It's going to be Garrett Cole for the Houston Astros. Adrian Houser for the Brewers. I actually like what I've seen out of Adrian Houser for the Brewers. I will give him a little bit of credit, but there's a reason why the Astros are right around a minus 170 favorite on the road. It's because Garrett Cole has been so good. If you had to take one starter right now in a start, Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, would you still be leaning towards Justin Verlander? Because both these guys have been dominant. We all saw Justin Verlander yesterday, but Garrett Cole has been amazing in his own right.
2: Yeah, I mean, Cole is certainly a front runner for the AL Cy Young this year. Really, both those guys are. But I think with the track record of Justin Verlander's career, and then as we saw on Sunday, him throwing his third no-hitter, becoming the first pitcher ever to no-hit an opposing team in their stadium twice. It is so hard to pick against him in a big-game situation in baseball. You know, it's hard to really think of another big-game pitcher that's better than him. Maybe Madison Bumgarner of the Giants, but it's been, you know, what, five years since Bumgarner has, has been in kind of a, a big-game situation like that. I would pick Justin Verlander if I had one game to win. And, you know, the Astros, they just continued to mow down teams. We saw them, you know, against the Blue Jays this weekend. You had Verlander's no-hitter on Sunday. I look at the American League divisional races. They're all pretty much wrapped up. The central race, maybe some, you know, intrigue left there between the Indians and Twins, but the Twins five and a half up on Cleveland. It looks like Cleveland's going to be fighting for a wild card spot. But you look at the division leaders, Houston and New York, I look at Houston's roster and I think they are the most set in terms of making a run at the postseason. The Yankees, they have a a tremendous offense and they've been able to find, you know, a lot of help from guys who we wouldn't have ever thought of at the beginning of the season. Giorg Schella, Mike Totschman, whatever. But the Astros pitching staff, Verlander, Cole, Grinke also in there. You know, that's a tremendous one, two, three punch going up in in a five game series or even a seven game series. Their bullpen, you know, it's got some pieces as well with Davinsky and Osuna. But that offense, I mean, there are no breaks in that lineup. And then, you know, with with September call-ups coming around, there's a possibility that the Astros could call up Kyle Tucker, who's long been considered one of their best prospects, left-handed hitting outfielder. They already have Jordan Alvarez up with the team. They could even have some reinforcements along the way. Coming into October here, I think Houston right now is still my favorite uh, in the American League to uh, clinch that pennant.
1: I cannot disagree with you there. The Houston Astros are just so dominant in all aspects of baseball. You've got the lineup. The bullpen has been a little bit leaky with Roberto Azuna and guys like that, but all in all, they've got the pieces. And with the New York Yankees, the reason why I can't put them in the same breath as Houston Astros is that starting rotation as You've got on Monday another guy that has been a bit shaky for this team. Masihiro Tanaka goes for the New York Yankees against Mike Miner of the Texas Rangers. Obviously, the Texas Rangers are an underdog, and the Yankees have been one of the most dominant teams at home so far this year. But I just cannot get behind guys like Masihiro Tanaka, Domingo Roman, and company because all these guys in the starting rotation for the New York Yankees have an ERA north of four. I don't know who I'd pick in a must-win game for the Yankees might be James Paxton. Domingo Ramon is just one, but his ERA is right around four. He's given up nearly 1.7 home runs per nine innings, and certainly not going to be Master Tanaka, a guy who in his last 15 starts has an ERA north of six.
2: Yeah, and uh, you brought up James Paxton as a potential big-name starter for the Yankees in the postseason. He's never pitched in the playoffs before. He spent all of his career up until this season with the Mariners, and There were a couple of times where the Mariners had some competitive teams when he was in Seattle, but never to the point of of making it to the postseason. And so now you're going to throw a guy in who earlier this season had some anxiety issues and, and then also he was able to get those settled down, but... He's the kind of guy that if his pitch count gets run up there in the first couple of innings, he's not going to be around for too much longer. Where you know he's got 80 pitches through three innings, that's not the kind of performance you want to see heading into the postseason. Now, one great thing about the Yankees pitching is that they have the bullpen that can shorten games. They don't need their starters to go six, seven, eight innings. They can have their starters go five innings, hand it off to you know Tommy Canley or Adam Ottavino or or anybody like that, but I think to help themselves in the postseason race, they can really do some some favors with that bullpen for themselves.
1: I think that that's a very good point, as Curtis Rogers is me right here on MLB Overtime Betting, and I thought it was so interesting that the Giants wound up giving Pablo Sandoval one last at-bat on Sundays. He is going to be out for the year, Bruce Bochy. His managerial career is going to come to an end at the end of the season. Do you think that there might be any angle to the San Francisco Giants, a team that they've fallen out of the NL wildcard chase? But do you think that there might be some sort of an angle with them in regards to being able to be one of those spoilers in September? Because I think it's such an interesting situation whenever you take a look at some of these teams that they're sort of on the edge. You're probably not going to be able to make a run, but at the same time, they could be very, very competitive.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think you look at, at potential spoilers throughout you know baseball right now. You know, the Mets, even though they're three and a half out of the wild card in the national league, you know, they've got potential to really ruin some plans for other teams. We talked about the Mariners a little bit playing a role of spoiler. They've got the Cubs coming up this week, two games in Wrigley Field, if they can take two or, or just split that series, I would imagine that would throw a a big wrench into the Cubs' plans, and there's just a lot of teams right now, the the Giants and the Padres in the National League. Those are two teams that their season has long been decided, but they could still really, really ruin a team's plans come September here. Another team I look at right now is the Texas Rangers. They're, what, 12 and a half out of the wild card at this point. It wasn't too long ago that they were in it, but teams now – Coming to Texas, not an easy trip, and they're closing that ballpark down in a couple of weeks. So, you know, you've got the Texas heat. You've got just all these elements and factors that teams would not want to have to deal with this late into the season because elsewhere it's getting you know colder and, and cooler throughout the league, but not in Arlington. It still remains, you know, 100 degrees or so. You know, the Red Sox, they're sort of hanging around at five games left to go. If they run into any one of these teams, that you could overlook, watch out because, you know, this is the time of season where it's going to get pretty interesting. And I think that's one of the cool things about this season, not just the teams that get hot and are able to pull it out in the end, but also the teams that if they, you know, start losing three, four in a row, it piles up and and the pressure mounts this time of year. And, you know, all of a sudden it can feel like that uphill battle just continues to get steeper. I'm excited for for the month that lies ahead.
1: Oh, I agree with you, and. Taking a look at the Boston Red Sox, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think they're completely out of it. We've seen teams down like nine, ten games in the wild card in the final month. Somehow, someway pull it out. We remember the Colorado Rockies several years ago. Ironically enough, the Boston Red Sox blew about a nine to ten game lead in the division slash wild card, and they wound up missing the postseason as well. And you take a look at a team like the Oakland A's. I'm really concerned about them right now. We saw them on Sunday have that four to nothing lead. They completely gas canned it away last year. Their hallmark was bullpen pitching. Right now, it's probably the biggest weakness of this team, and I think that they're in grave danger of not being able to make the postseason if they don't get things figured out in the back end.
2: I agree. Like you said, it flip flopped from a year ago where the bullpen was such a strength, and now it's a weakness. But the A's do get Sean Manaya back, who I believe he pitched on Saturday night. So that is going to be a huge. That list. was
1: yesterday, and he looked. Good.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, and last year before he got his elbow issues, you know, that was a guy who was potentially an American League Cy Young candidate. And now that he's back, you've got AJ Puck. They're hoping for big things down the stretch. Uh, I think Jesus lazardo uh, another prospect of theirs, he could get a call up here any day now. Uh, that's one thing to watch over the next couple of days is that teams will bring up prospects in waves depending on where the minor league season is. So just because it's September 1st doesn't automatically mean the best prospects in these systems are going to get called up. But he's a guy who the A's have long coveted. And you know now they could probably throw him in there in September at some point. They're a half game back of the American League wildcard. And they've got some postseason experience. Bob Melvin, one of the best managers in baseball. I believe he's a three-time manager of the year award winner. So, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. Tampa Bay, certainly not the runaway juggernaut that they were in the first half of the season, but they have put together a nice little run here. They've won four in a row. Cleveland, for whatever reason, they've just been so hot or cold this year that they've dropped three in a row, closing out the weekend. Do they have it in them to make a run at the postseason? That American League wildcard race... With those three teams, heck, even four teams, you lump the Red Sox in there. That, to me, is the most exciting race we have left.
1: No ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I do think that it's going to be highly entertaining to see how the NL Central plays out as well because we were talking about the Cubs a little bit earlier. The St. Louis Cardinals wind up having to play two doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday. That's 36 innings of baseball in 36 hours. I think that that's something that could take a little bit of a toll on a team as well because you do wind up being able to bring up those men with the 40-man roster and everything like that. But even with that, you now go from having really, really tired arms if you don't have the 40-man roster to having a little bit more depth. But at the same time, you now have mediocre arms as well because you've got a bunch of guys that they're used to tossing to A AA and A guys and not major leaguers.
2: Yeah, and you know that's the thing with these young guys is that their performances can be very volatile. On one hand, you can try gold. Like, I think the biggest example of this in like the last 20 years was when the Angels called up Francisco Rodriguez and he was just absolutely dominant lights out. We've Good seen it okay, other times. Rod. Yeah, we've seen it other times. Like Jabba Chamberlain, remember him? He came up and was just an excellent bridge to Mariano Rivera when he came up. So there are times where these September calls can really have an impact. In the postseason race and in the playoffs as well, but also with the positive impact, there also comes guys who the stage is just simply too big and too bright for them at this time, and maybe they need some seasoning. I think wasn't it a couple of years ago when the Royals won the World Series? You had Adalberto Mondesi get a World Series ring before actually having an official Major League at <laughs> bat because they called him up for the postseason run specifically. But yeah, you know, just some of those weird instances. Terrence Gore, I mean, he's got to find his way as a designated pinch runner, right? That's just kind of become an October tradition at this point. I don't know where he's bouncing around right now, but that seems like it, it's become a tradition. Maybe Quentin Barry, that's another guy who finds his way onto a postseason roster. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the one thing that I'm really entertained to see, how full is that Phillies bullpen going to be? Because I still remember Gabe Kapler last year because you always get the 40 guys that you're able to call up. Most teams don't go with the full 40. Gabe Kapler, he used a full 40. I still remember they would always just show shots of, like, the bullpen, and you'd have guys that wouldn't have a seat because it was so full. I thought that was one of the funniest things ever.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have some sympathy for, like, traveling secretaries of these teams nowadays because you're normally used to having just 25 players, and all of a sudden these rosters can expand by, you know, two-thirds. You're up to 40 guys now. The Phillies, though, I mean, I saw it today. I forget who tweeted it, but they compared the team where they are this year record-wise compared to where they were last year, and also the amount of payroll that they had spent. The Phillies this year, up to about $140 million, and a big chunk of that, obviously, is the Bryce Harper deal, but also adding Gene Segura's contract, GT Real Muto. Last year, they had $90 million in payroll committed to players and they were five games better than they were this season. Maybe it's managing with Gabe Kapler, who knows, but for all that went into the Phillies' season, if they're unable to get back into this National League wildcard race, it's going to be a really tough look for their fans, and I don't know if Gabe Kapler survives this season if they don't make at least the National League wildcard.
1: Yeah, it's been a tough go of it for the Philadelphia Phillies recently, as Their bullpen completely lit the game on fire on Friday. You just don't know what you're going to get from this offense night in a night out. One night it's spectacular, the next night it is just complete and utter garbage, and this is a team that I don't think is going to wind up making the playoffs. I don't know about you, but I'm just not bullish on the Philadelphia Phillies at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I just yeah, I don't see it either. I, I think they've got great pieces, and I think if they had better direction, that they could maybe challenge for a postseason spot, but for whatever reason, they just have not been able to put it together this year. And then also Jake Arietta getting hurt, that didn't help. Beyond Aaron Nola, I mean, it's not a rotation that really strikes fear into anybody. You know, the pieces are in place. The Andrew McCutcheon injury didn't help up matters either, but I think the Phillies are going to be really scratching their heads come October when they find themselves sitting at home.
1: Totally agree with you, and you've got, for the Philadelphia Phillies going on Monday, Drew Smiley. So, to your point about the rotation, not necessarily striking fear into anyone, but what is striking fear into people is what Curtis Rogers is doing over there at 710 ESPN in Seattle. All other competitors in Seattle should be shaking in their boots because I know you do tremendous work with pre- and post-game work with the Seattle Mariners. You owe some great radio shows and podcasts as well. It is absolutely tremendous. Let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of you because you always join this podcast, you always bring it, you always do tremendous work, and I feel like the people should hear
2: a little bit more of you as well. Well, I appreciate that, Greg. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at a kid from Kent. You can download Seattle Sports Tonight on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And then if you're in the Seattle area, you can catch me Mariners pre- and post-game most nights. I always enjoy our talks, Greg.
1: I always enjoy them, too. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas Betting Board. Coming up next in something I like to call Hutch'em All.
0: Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem. So, yeah, he better not blow it.
1: We are back here in the Zuni Steel Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to
0: call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So it is time to touch them all.
1: Note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1. With some of these plays, they're all locked in. Good to go. Bet on everything like that. Some of these plays are in wait and see mode. We've got two games that are presently off the board. With a lot of these plays, I'm waiting on line changes, lineup moves, everything like that. And as we go along, I'll be noting what plays I have locked in, what plays I have pending. And as always, changes are going to be made on my Twitter feed. And we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with 901, 902 on the bank rotation. The New York Mets are going to be hitting the road to face off against Washington Nationals. Noah Thor Syndergaard on the bump for the New York Mets. Meanwhile, you've got Joe Ross going for the Washington Nationals. Currently, you're seeing the Mets as a slight favorite, anywhere between minus one ten and minus one twelve. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nationals, you're laying anywhere between minus one hundred three or getting as high as plus one hundred two. Total on this game is nine and a half. For the under, is juice of minus one fifteen. The over is minus one hundred five. And this is a spot where I've got to be taking a look at the New York Mets. No Syndergaard had a start that, well, he wanted to forget in his last time out. He wound up giving up 10 runs, 9 of which were earned in 3 innings. And prior to that, ever since the All-Star break, he had an ERA right around a 2-1. He had went over 50 innings, giving up just 1 home run. So, I'm not going to put too much stock into 1 bad start. Ever since the All-Star break, he has been pretty good. And the Mets bullpen in general has been very good since the All-Star break. They had the 3rd worst ERA in the big leagues with regards to their bullpen going into the All-Star break ever since then. It's been in the top 5. And I will say, Joe Ross in the month of August was absolutely spectacular. He wound up making a grand total of five starts, giving up three runs. Now, I will say, he made it past the sixth inning just once, and in his last two starts, he wound up not making it past the fifth inning, but all in all, he's done a very effective job. And with the Washington Nationals, so many people are wanting to say that their bullpen has turned around. They were 27th in the big leagues last month in regards to bullpen ERA, but with the Washington Nationals, this is a team that in 12 out of their last 14 games, they have scored at least seven runs, and you've got a whole lot of guys are providing a whole lot of offense for this team. Despite the fact that Adam Eaton has been out of the line the last couple days, they certainly have some good hitting at the top as you've got Trey Turner hitting right around at 295. He's got great wheels. You've got Victor Robles and Ryan Zimmerman both hitting in the neighborhood of a 250. Ryan Zimmerman fresh off the injured list. He looked good. Howie Kendrick is now back in the fold as well on base percentage of 380. He's hitting at 330. Whenever he's out there he's able to supply some power. Got a couple guys that need to pick it up with the bat in Jan Gomes and Eduardo Parra. They're both hitting below a 230, but if that's your biggest concern, that's pretty good because you've also got Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Both men have a non-base percentage of above a 400. Meanwhile, with Rendon, he's now hitting a 337, 32 home runs for him. Juan Soto, 31 dingers, Vizone, and then for the New York Mets, you've got that man Pete Alonso that is doing terrific work. Batting average right around a .265. It's his 43rd home run of the year yesterday. He's got over 100 RBI. Jeff McNeil has been in and out of the lineup for the New York Mets, but whenever you have him, he certainly has been a good cog. He's hitting right around a .320 to a .325 on base percentage, approaching a 400 as well. But then you've got a lot of guys that have been towards the top of the league with regards to batting average ever since the second half of the year. Amit Rosario, Wilson Ramos, and J.D. Davis are all among the top 20 hitters with regards to second half at least with regards to qualifying hitters, as they've all been hitting at least a 320 with regards to their batting average ever since the All-Star break. The Todd father, Todd Frazier, had been a little bit cold, but then he got a multi-home run game against the Philadelphia Phillies. to be able to get him going. Need a little bit more out of guys like Juan Lagares. Joe Panic has been very average since coming over to the team, but Michael Conforto sitting between a 260 and a 265 as well. He's been able to supply some boom. He's got 28 home runs on the year. He's got 80 RBI as well, and this is a spot where I do think the New York Mets are going to get a better start out of Noah Syndergaard than Joe Ross. Joe Ross looked very good in the month of August, but I do think that it's a little bit smoke and mirrors and I do like the Mets bullpen a whole heck of a lot more than the Washington Nationals. I think the Nationals are going to be be getting cooled down a little bit more with their offense just because they have had the luxury of facing off against some bad pitching case in point the Miami Marlins. So for that reason, looking at the New York Mets in the spot and the total under with regards to the under, I'm in wait and see mode to try to get a little bit more favorable juice and then when it comes to the New York Mets, this is also a wait and see mode as well as I'm noticing a little bit of money Coming in on the Washington Nationals game nine hundred three nine hundred four on the betting rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. You've got Drew Smiley going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Anthony Scalfani for the Cincinnati Reds. All on this game is ten. Under is anywhere between even and minus one fifteen. The overs anywhere between minus one hundred five and minus one twenty. If you are looking at the Phillies, that's going to be anywhere between plus one thirty five and plus one forty four. Meanwhile, if you are looking to lay here with the Reds, going to be laying anywhere between minus one fifty four and minus one fifty. And this is a spot where I just called them the sillies. And it's because I just don't expect a lot out of this team. Drew Smiley in the month of August was actually 3-2 in his five starts. At least the team was. But he had a 7-20 ERA in that time. He gave up nine home runs in 25 in the third innings. It just has not really been going well for him. We all remember his time with the Texas Rangers. He had an ERA north of eight. He was just getting shelled. And I will say for Anthony DeSclafani, Scalfani, he's given up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. But you take a look at his last 10 or so starts. He has an ERA of a 3 two, five. He's done a good job of being able to keep games out in front of him. He doesn't necessarily do the best job of being able to limit the walks, but he doesn't do a bad job right around three walks for nine innings for him. We all know that with the Cincinnati Reds, their bullpen has fallen on some tough times ever since the All-Star break bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA, but we saw the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen over the weekend as well. Not necessarily nails it for the Philadelphia Phillies. You have a couple guys who are doing a good job with the bat, and I do like the way that Bryce Harper is starting to emerge. He's got a batting average between a .255 and a .260. He's been hitting 29 home runs He's. Prev- providing some RBI, but Reese Hoskins, even though his on-base percentage, is hovering right around a 380. His batting average is below a 240. He hasn't been supplying a whole lot of power ever since the All-Star break. That is a real concern, but what is not a concern is Corey Dickerson. He's been doing a great job for the team. He's upped his batting average to a 315. Then you got a lot of guys that are in between a 270 and a 285. Scott Kingery, Cesar Hernandez, JT Riomito are all in that boat for this team. Adam Hazili is inning right around a 255 as well, and then you've got Brad Miller chipping in right around a 240 batting average. Got a couple guys that are famine as well, like Roman Quinn and company, but they haven't been seeing a lot of at-bats recently. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Cincinnati Reds. Aristides Aquino and Eugenio Suarez over the last 30 days have been just supplying the power. These two guys alone have 33 home runs. Suarez, 262 batting average. He's got 40 home runs on the year. Got to think fatigue might be playing a little bit of a factor in this game, but you do have quite a few guys that are hitting for this lineup right around a 255 to a 270 as well, and Nick Senzo, Joey Votto, the aforementioned Suarez. Josh Van Meter, Freddie Galvis, and Kirk Cazale, all in that neighborhood. So, got a lot of comparable batting averages there, and with Freddie Galvis, he's got over 20 home runs between his time with the Toronto Blue Jays and the Cincinnati Reds. Phillip Irvin out there in the outfield has been helping out Aquino as well. He's hitting above a 300, and then you have to like that Jose Iglesias is hitting right around a 300 as well, and I do think that D. Scalfani is going to be able to give a better start than Drew Smiley. I think that both these bullpens are pretty comparable. I think that they're both going to give up a couple runs, which is why I'm going to be on the total over, but I'm looking at the Reds on the run line here. I just think that Drew Smiley is going to get chilled. Don't like what I'm seeing out of the Phillies whatsoever. So for that reason, I've already locked in the run line of the Reds at plus 130. Currently in Wayne C mode on this over trying to get a little bit more favorable juice as it's ranging all over the place, but going to be on both of those. 905-906 on the bank rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals playoffs to the San Francisco Giants. Taylor Beatty goes for the San Francisco Giants. Adam Wainwright for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 9. The over is juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals, going to be laying it here anywhere between minus 175 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price is going to be anywhere between plus 160 and plus 163 if you're wanting to take it with the San Francisco Giants. And this is a Giants team that is vastly different home to road. On the road, they're averaging right around 5.3 to 5.4 runs per game. At home, it's more in the realm of a 3.3 to 3.4 runs per game output. And with Tyler Beattie, this is a guy that's not good. In four out of his last five starts, he's given up at least four earned runs. And in each of his last five, He's given up at least three earned runs. He's giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings, 3.8 walks per nine. Things have just not gone well for him. For the San Francisco Giants, this is a bullpen that is starting to give up a lot of runs as well. Two weeks ago, they were second best in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. That is certainly balloon. And then when you take a look at Adam Wainwright, this is a guy that has started to give up runs at home as well. In his last home start, he winds up giving up five runs over the course of five innings against the Milwaukee Brewers. He actually has been a little bit better at home than he has been on the road. I will say that his home ERA hovering right around a 3-5-ish, give or take a little bit. He has been giving out the walks. He's given up right around four walks per nine innings, but he's been a pretty solid home pitcher on the road. He's got an ERA that is approaching six. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, once again, like I was saying with the Cincinnati Reds, because they did wind up playing essentially 36 innings in 30... Six hours. It is going to be a little bit of fatigue, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, you do have a lot of guys that are doing a decent job of getting on base. You just have a whole bunch of guys that are hitting, I would say, between a 245 and a 265. You have a couple guys that are above that now as well. Colton Wong and Tyler O'Neill. they're hitting between a 275 and a 285. So they've been doing a very solid job there. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you are getting some good results out of guys like Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, Marcelo Zuna, Yadier Molina, the list goes on and on. These are the guys that are hitting in that realm. With Paul Goldschmidt, he's got 29 home runs on the year. He had a stretch about a month ago in which he had a home run in seven out of nine games. Paul DeYoung and... Marcel Ozuna are a pair of guys that have 24 home runs as well, so they have been solid for the team. Even Yadier Munoz sitting right around 270 for the team. Jose Martinez is back in the fold. He's ending at 268. You got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with the bat. Matt Carpenter, Harrison Bader, and a few others have just not been providing much. A whole catcher spot outside of Yadier Molina has been a little bit of a hot mess, but Tommy Edmond at the lead-off spot has been pretty solid as well. He's hitting at 282. Does a good job of being able to find a way on base. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, ever since the All-Star break, they've got the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. I think that that's a big redeeming quality as the Giants have been tapering off with that. But for the San Francisco Giants, you are noticing that the lineup is getting a little bit better as well. Adam Dickerson hitting well above a 300 for this team. Austin Slater hitting just below a 300 himself. He's been able to supply some power. He was able to hit a home run on Saturday against the San Diego Padres. And then you've got Evan Longoria and Kevin Pillar who had between 18 and 20 home runs apiece. Both these guys hitting between a 260 and a .266. Stephen Voigt sitting at 270 at the catcher spot. He's been finding his water. Mark, Brandon Crawford, and Brandon Belt both ending right around a 232 to a 233, so they leave a little bit of something to be desired. But Donovan Solano proving himself to be a very good leadoff hitter, he's ending nearly a 340. You have Mikey Strzemski, who saw a pinch inning roll yesterday. He's got 17 home runs, 265 average. He's been doing a decent job. Need to get a little bit more out uh, of Jeff Rickard, but all in all, you do have some guys that are starting to contribute on the offensive end for the San Francisco Giants. And I do think that you are going to see some tired arms from both of these squads, and I do think that it is a reason to be able to take this total over. I know that over 60% of the games that have been played at St. Louis so far this year have went under, but I think that with Adam Wainwright, he's going to give up some runs. I think that the Giants and their splits are really going to come through here, and I do think that the Cardinals, who wound up resting a lot of guys in Game 2 of that doubleheader, are going to be a little bit more fresh than people may think. So for that reason, I have already locked in the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals at plus 105 and this total over. I think that BD, once again, is going to get shelled, and I do think that the Cardinals give up some runs, but they're going to be able to win this game commandingly. Now 907, 908 on the bagging rotation. You've got the San Diego Padres hitting the road face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mike Lee goes for the D-backs. Cal Quantrill for the Padres. Your total on this game is 9. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Padres, getting a plus price here, that is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. If you want to lay it with the D-backs, anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. This is a spot in which I don't want snakes on my plane of bets. You take a look at Cal Quantrill. He wound up getting a little bit shelled in his last start, but all in all, ever since getting his second shot in the starting rotation, I believe that it's over the course of eight starts. He's got an ERA that is below two. He's been doing a very good job in that regard. He's done a nice job of being able to keep the ball in the yard as well. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is one of the teams that do the worst job of being able to hit home runs at at home. They are in the bottom ten with regards to home runs per game at home. Meanwhile, they're they're in the top ten with regards to home runs per game on the road. With Quantrill in his last start, he wound up giving up eight runs and four and a third innings against the LA Dodgers. Obviously, that was not ideal, but in all of his other starts previous, he had given up three earned runs or fewer ever since the beginning of the month of July. So I think that that was just a little bit of an outlier. And for the year, he's given up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings and 2.3 walks per nine. Meanwhile, with Mike Week, ever since he's come over to the Arizona Diamondbacks, he's won 28 and a third innings, giving up eight home runs. Needless to say, that is not ideal. Does a good job with command. He's given up right around 1.5 walks per nine innings. But with that said, a 6.59 ERA and a 1.57 whip with the Arizona Diamondbacks, not getting the job done. And he was highly inconsistent with the Seattle Mariners as well. That has been the MO of him pretty much throughout his career. And with the Padres... It is a little bit of a horse apiece with the lineup. They are clearly missing Fernando Tatis Jr. They don't have the hitting that they did when he was out there with regards to average, but they do have some guys that are providing some power. Hunter Renfro, 31 home runs. I will say, though, he needs to pick it up with his average along with a whole bunch of other guys as you've got Will Myers, Hunter Renfro, Ty France, Luis Arreas, Austin Hedges, Allen at the catcher spot, and Ian Kinsler all hitting a 232 or lower. Needless to say, that is not ideal, but Josh Naylor has actually upped his average. He and Greg Garcia both hitting between a 253 and a 260. Manuel Margot hitting more around a 240, and you do have a couple guys that have really been nice surprises for this team. Nick Martini starting to pick up his batting average. He was a hot mess with the Oakland A's. They wound up dfa him. They picked him up, and he had a very good showing in that series against the San Francisco Giants. You also have Mady Machado and Eric Cosmer who are doing a great job of being able to shell at the RBI. With Eric Cosmer, he's hitting above a 280. 18 home runs for him. He's got over 80 RBI. Manny Machado, 76 of his own with 28 home runs. He's hitting right around a 270. So he's been able to step up for the team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Eduardo Escobar is on a tear right now. 270 batting average, 32 home runs, 109 RBI. And you got a lot of guys that have that batting average between a 255 and a 272-ish for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously, who I just mentioned, Escobar is in there, but when he's healthy, David Peralta is in that fold. You've got Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly, Christian Walker, Adam Jones, Gerard Dyson is just below it, but you've also got Tim Castro all in that realm as well. And for Gerard Dyson, even though he's only hitting a 245, his stolen base mark is absolutely impressive when the top's out there in the big leagues. With Christian Walker, he's got 23 home runs. Quetel Marte has been missing the last couple days, but he wound up returning to the lineup yesterday. He's hitting a .320. He's got 27 home runs, so he's able to do a great job of providing for this team. And then you got Alex Avila and Jake Lamb, two very interesting cats that are hitting below a 220 for this team, but their on-base percentages are both 130 points or greater than their batting averages as well, so they've been doing a very good job in that regard. But I do think that this is a spot in which the San Diego Padres are certainly going to be able to shell Mike Leake, and I think that they're going to get to him hard. But I think that Cal Quantrill is going to be able to hold the Arizona Diamondbacks at bay, which is why I'm actually going to be looking at a reverse run line here of the Padres. This will not be posted until the morning, but I'm probably going to be able to get a plus price of at least a 170 on this. So that is why I'm looking at it. I think that Cal Quantrill really going to be able to take it to him, and I think that the Padres are going to hit Mike Lee hard once again as the Diamondbacks bullpen has looked better recently but I still have my concerns with guys like Juan Lopez, Archie Bradley and company and the Padres seem to be really improved with their bullpen and they've got the best closer out there in the big leagues than Kirby Yates. So looking at the reverse run line and the total under with regards to the under would really like to see this stick back to nine and a half. It started out at nine and a half Currently it's a nine juice of the over. Would like to see if I'm able to get a nine and a half at all possible, but I am going to be playing both of those. 909, 910 on the banging rotation. The LA Dodgers play also the Colorado Rockies. Peter Lambert goes for the Rockies. Walker Beeler for the L.A. Dodgers. Your total on this game ranging between 8.5 and, a half and a 9. On the 9s, the under is juice of minus 120. The over is even. On the 8 and a half, over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. With the Dodgers, you're going to be laying it here as they are anywhere between minus 310 and minus 330 favorites. Plus price here on the Colorado Rockies, anywhere between plus 260 and plus 270. You guys know me. I'm typically someone that I love to be able to play the underdogs if at all possible. I just don't see value in this underdog. With the Colorado Rockies, in their last 23 road games, they've lost 19 of them. The LA Dodgers are by far the most dominant home team out there in the big leagues. And on top of that, you've got one of the most dominant pitchers at home so far this year, Walker Beeler. Walker Beeler for the year, 11-3, 3.03 ERA, and 154 and a third innings. He has allowed 16 home runs, so he's allowing less than one home run per nine innings. He's given up right around 1.8-ish walks per nine innings as well, but you take a look at his most recent home starts, he has been absolutely magnificent. In the month of August, he wound up going a grand total of 25 innings at home, giving up one earned run, and one of those was a complete game in which he got 15 strikeouts. As a matter of fact, he has given up more than three earned runs in none of his home starts ever since... May 29th. So this is a guy that at home he has been right at home, and the LA Dodgers at home so far this year 52 and 18. Meanwhile, with Peter Lambert, this is a guy that it doesn't matter where he's pitching; he's given up runs two and five. Record 6.63 ERA, 163 WHIP. He has given up in 74 and two thirds innings, 16 home runs. It's right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings. He's given up right around three and a half walks as well. And with the LA Dodgers, they were struggling with their bats a little bit against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I do feel like they are starting. To get something going once again. You've got that man Cody Bellinger. He's got 42 home runs over 100 RBI. His batting average is suffering right around a 310. You've got a bunch of guys are right around a 265 as well in Chris Taylor and Corey Seager to go with AJ Pollock. And I do like what I'm seeing out of Kike Hernandez as well. Since coming off the injured list, he's been much better. Hitting a 245 for the year, but ever since coming off the injured list, he has been hitting above a 300 in that regard. Matt Beattie and Justin Turner down for what? Both hitting between a 289 and a 299 themselves. David Freeze was off the injured list. He's hitting above a 300 as well. Jock Peterson has seen a dip in his average at a 236, but he's still being able to supply some power for this team. And even taking a look at Peterson, he now has 28 home runs as he was able to get a big home run late in the game against the the of Diamondbacks yesterday to will this team to victory, so got a lot of pieces for this team including Will Smith, who's getting a home run every nine at bats at the catcher spot. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that scores the most runs per game at home so far this year. Meanwhile on the road, they're in the bottom 10 with regards to their runs per game, and the bullpen has just been absolutely woeful ever since the All-Star break. They've got the worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues, and even at home they weren't generating a lot of offense. Now you do still have Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, and Trevor Story. A trio of guys are in between 27 and 33 home runs at the top of the lineup with Arenado and Charlie Blackman, they're both hitting above a 310 and Trevor a 396, but and Trevor Story a 296, but with Charlie Blackman, this is a man that hits right around 370ish at home, on the road more human, he's right around a 250 to a 260ish. You've then got Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond in between a 255 and a 260. I do like the fact that Tony Walters and Daniel Murphy are hitting a 280, and Sam Hilliard, ever since getting called up from AAA, A, has been hitting right around a 295. And I will say for Arenado, he now has 35 home runs at 105 RBI, so obviously he's had a great year. But with the Colorado Rockies, they just seem to have a tough time acclimating from Coors Field to another ballpark, and then the flip side going from another ballpark to Coors Field because it is such a vastly different way of playing with that elevation, and I think that it's really going to mess with them here. They've been competitive against the Dodgers all year long, but they were the victim of so many walk-offs in the month of June. This is a team that, it seems like, has almost quit a little bit, as bad as as it is to say, and I think that Walker going to be able to deliver another gem. So, for that reason, we are going to be looking at the LA Dodgers on the run line, and I'm going to be taking this total under, because I think that, even though Peter Lambert is probably going to give up 5-plus runs, I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to hold this game at bay, which is why I do think that this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking it under with regards to the Dodgers run line. Well, it certainly is jockey. It's currently between minus 150 and minus 160. So would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice there. And with regards to the Thunder, would like to be able to get this total at 9 if at all possible. If I have to take an on 8.5, I have to take an unjuice 8.5. But currently, we ain't see about on both of those. We move on to the Texas Rangers hitting the road to face off against the New York Yankees. 9-11, 9-12 on the bang rotation. Masahiro Tanaka goes for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Mike Miner goes for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game is 9.5. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Rangers, you're certainly getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. If you're looking to lay a deer with the Yankees, that's anywhere between minus 192 and minus $2. Though the Yankees have been very good in Masahiro Tanaka's most recent couple starts 13 3 in his last 16. Over that stretch, Masahiro Tanaka, his ERA is right around a 6. He's given up a lot of home runs for the year. It's not really a result of Masahiro Tanaka being a good pitcher that they've won so many of his starts. It's rather the lineup being able to mash. Meanwhile, with Mike Miner, this is a guy that has been very uneven. Entering into the month of July, he had been absolutely spectacular. In every one of his starts in the month of July, he gave up at least three earned runs. And then in the month of August, he turned two gems going a combined 15 innings against the Brewers and the Cleveland Indians on the road not giving up a single run there. And then in his final three starts in August, he gave up at least three earned runs in all three of them. So it's one of those questions of you have to mind for information on Mike Miner because you don't know what you're going to get game to game but I will say this for the Texas Rangers bullpen has looked a little bit better recently they had some good innings in their series against the Seattle Mariners obviously the last game of that set certainly did not go their way but all in all they are a little bit of an improved bunch and for the Texas Rangers you've got some guys that are doing a good job of at the very least getting on base Lionel DeShields Jr. hitting a 250 for this bunch he's one of the best base dealers out there in the big leagues Danny Santana, Elvis Sanders are a pair of guys along with Willie Calhoun, only in between a 275 and a 288. And in the case of Danny Santana, he's right now leading the way with 24 home runs. You got some guys that, well, their batting average is very, very woeful, though. Logan Forsythe, Ronald Guzman, Steve Heineman, Jeff Mathis, Tim Fedorowicz, Ru Nadodor, all guys are currently hitting a 227 or lower for this bunch. But I will say, for Ruud Naderador, he's got 20 plus home runs on the year. He's been doing a good job of being able to supply RBI. The 194 batting average, though, it leaves a little bit of something to be desired. But Nick Solak, ever since getting recalled from AAA, he's been hitting a 333. Noah Mazar wound up making a pinch hitting appearance yesterday. That is big as he and Sinchuchu, both hitting between a 265 and a 270. For Mazar, he's got 17 home runs. Sinchuchu, right around 19 or 20 as well. Mazar has been missing the last couple of weeks. So that is going to be a nice cog. And Isaiah had that walk-off hit on Saturday. He seems to be picking it up for the Texas Rangers as well. And then you take a look at the New York Yankees, as was demonstrated yesterday. This is a team that is able to heat up in a hurry. Gio Rochelle has been out of the fold the last couple days for this team, but he and DJ LeMayu, both hitting a 3.30 or greater in the case of LeMayu. He's got 24 home runs, nearly 90 RBI. Got a couple guys that have really picked it up with their batting average as well. You've got Mike Talkman, Luke Voigt, Aaron Judge, and Gleyber Torres, all in between a 2.75. And a 285. And in the case of Gleyber Torres, 33 home runs on the year for him. He's been absolutely sensational. DD Gregorius and Brett Gardner are both hitting between a 249 and a 255. Gotta think that they're gonna pick it up a little bit. And Clint Frazier, guy that's been a little bit of a hot mess with regards to the glove, but has been good with the bat. Wound up getting recalled from Triple A yesterday. He's hitting a 280. Mike Ford, all of a sudden, is proving himself to be a masher, but I do think that this is a spot in which the New York Yankees can be had. This is a bunch that They just don't have the pitching with regards to their starters. You obviously have the great bullpen arms as we were talking about with... Our man Curtis Rogers and Tommy Canely, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, the list goes on and on. But I do think that the Texas Rangers are going to be able to get to Masiur to knock in this spot. And I do think that you're going to get another high-scoring Yankees game. So for that reason, looking at this total over, and we're taking a look at the Texas Rangers. Don't think that whole lot of money is going to be coming in on the Texas Rangers as they're about 15 games below five hundred on the road. The Yankees, meanwhile, have been very, very good at home. They have the second-best home record in the big leagues, so only the L.A. Dodgers, so... We're going to be taking a little bit of a chance here, so we're in wait and see mode here. Meanwhile, waiting to see how the juice shakes out on this total as it's ranging between minus 115, and I just saw that minus 110 posted, so might wind up locking that in as... I get off this podcast in a few minutes. 9-13, on the bank rotation. The Detroit Tigers play also the Minnesota Twins. Jake Odorizzi goes for the Twins. Jordan Zimmerman for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Twins, going to be landing there. anywhere between minus $2 and minus 210. Your plus price on the Detroit Tigers is anywhere between plus 180 and plus 190. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Minnesota Twins. Now, I do recognize that Jordan Zimmerman Zimmerman, as a pitcher, has been much improved. This is a guy that has an ERA above six. His first several starts of the year, well, they were absolutely awful. And I will say, with Jake Odorizzi, he's been a little bit hot and cold himself. 14 and six record, 3.55 ERA, has done a good job of limiting the home run ball. Right around .95 home runs per nine innings is what he's giving up. So that is absolutely tremendous. But in the month of June, he started giving up quite a few earned runs. In the month of July, he wound up having a pair of starts in which he got completely blown up, giving up a combined 14 runs at starts against the New York Yankees and the Oakland A's. But in August, he seemed to have really righted the ship. He gave up a combined nine earned runs over his five starts and he wound up going at least five innings in every one of them. So there were obviously some good signs there. Meanwhile, with the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that is just not mastering a lot of power in general. Right now, their best power hitter is Brandon to Dixon. 250 batting average for him. 14 home runs. Needless to say, they need a little bit more. Ronnie Rodriguez has 13 home runs, which is nice, but his batting average still below a 240 itself. They do have a couple guys who are doing a better job of getting on base. Victor Reyes is hitting a 295. Miguel Cabrera and Harold Castro both hitting in that 280 range as well. But then you do have the famine bats as well. Guys like Jake Rogers, Grayson Reiner, Gordon Beckham, Ronnie Rodriguez is hitting at 230, Darwell Lugo at 235. They're all having their batting averages at a very, very floor level. Nico Goodrum has not been providing a lot for this team. And for the Minnesota Twins, with a month left in the season, they've already set the MLB record for most home runs in a year. It's absolutely amazing. You've got Nelson Cruz and Max Kuppler, both with 35 plus home runs. And in the case of Nelson Cruz, he's hitting at 309. Ori Polanco has 20 home runs. He's hitting above a 300. Miguel Sano is getting a home run every 12 at-bats. Luis Reyes has a non-base percentage of a 400. He's like the one non-masher on this team. And heck, they call up Jake from AAA. He's hitting a 270 now. He's providing home runs. Williams Astadio winds up getting recalled and he's hitting like a 270. CJ Krohn is cranking out home runs. Mitch Garver has like 25 home runs. The list goes on and on and on. And with the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that had a bullpen that was really leaky towards the end of July into early August. They seem to have figured their you-know-what out as well. And I will say this, I was mentioning it a little bit earlier with Jordan Zimmerman. He has been providing some better starts as of late. In his last three starts, he's wound up going a grand total of 16 innings, giving up Four earned runs, he's just been a little bit of a tough luck loser as his record is 1-9. and He was absolutely awful out there in the month of July as he gave up more than three earned runs in all but one of his starts. But in the month of August, things did go very well for him. So I do think that this is a total that even though I know that in the last eight meetings between these two teams, seven overs... One push on the total, no unders. I think that this is a total that will stay under, but I just don't see the Detroit Tigers being able to muster a whole lot of offense against Jake Odorizzi. I like what I've seen out of him recently. And I do think that the Detroit Tigers bullpen, not going to do any favors for Jordan Zimmerman. I see him giving up more like three or four earned runs in this start as well. Looking at this total, under and the run line of the Minnesota Twins. Currently, the Twins run line hovering right around a minus 135. Obviously, would like to lay a little bit less juice there. Meanwhile, with this total, would like to be able to see if this gets to 10, if at all possible. That would be a little bit of added production, but going to be playing both regardless. We move on to a game that is currently off the board, 9-15, on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing those to the Baltimore Orioles. Escher Wojciechowski goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Ryan Yarbrough for the Tampa Bay Rays. This game is presently off the board. When I saw it opened, I don't know who the pitcher was for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Baltimore Orioles, but I was seeing the Rays as about a minus $3 favor with the total on this game. Ranging in the neighborhood of 8.5 and, and I've got to think that if that's going to be the line in this one, I'm going to have to take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line and I'm going to be taking a look at it under Asher Wojciechowski. Certainly has had his good starts. He's certainly had his bad starts. This is a man that is two and seven, 5 one, two ERA he's given up a lot of home runs. That's really been the kryptonite of him. He's given up right around 2.3, 2.4 home runs per nine innings, but I will say, when Justin Verlander was on the bump in that historic game on the road against the Baltimore Orioles a few weeks ago, he was a pitcher of note in that win. He also wound up being able to toss seven and a third scoreless innings against the, against the Boston Red Sox about a month and a half ago, giving up one hit in the process. And I will say, he's given up more than three earned runs in just one out of his last four starts, and that's against the Boston Red Sox, Houston Astros, Tampa Bay Rays, and Washington Nationals. So So, it's not like he's facing a whole bunch of slouches. He's actually been holding his own. Meanwhile, with Ryan Yarbrough, this guy has been absolutely terrific. Going into his last start, he had given up more than one earned run just once in his last eight starts. Now, he did wind up giving up a couple more against the Houston Astros. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings. But all in all, this guy has been just absolutely magical recently. He's got a .87 whip. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings. He's given up like one walk per nine innings. His command has been absolutely on point. With the Baltimore Orioles, this is an offense that actually has gotten on track. I will give them credit. They do have a couple guys that are able to hit the ball out of the yard. Trey Boomer Mancini, and... Renato Nunez are a pair of guys that have between 28 and 30 home runs. In the case of Nunez, sitting just below a 250. Meanwhile, with Trey Boom Mancini, he's sitting at 275. And then he's joined by Jonathan VR sitting at 278. Do you need a little bit more out of Pedro Severino? Ever since coming off the injured list, he's been hanging right around at a 255, and DJ Stewart is in that neighborhood as well. Dwight Smith Jr., after a decent start to the year, he's now hanging at 235, and Rio Ruiz is hitting in that 235 to 240 neighborhood as well. And then you got the famine bats for this team that do need to pick things up. Chan Sisko, Stevie Wilkerson, Richie Martin, Jace Peterson, Chris Davis. All guys are in a two twenty or lower for this bunch, but then you got Anthony Santander who's picking it up. .295 batting average. He's got a little pop in the bat. Hanser Alberto, I guess lefties is sitting right around four hundred. Overall, he's hitting nearly a .325 himself, so that's obviously been very good, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, even though they don't necessarily have that one guy that is incredibly fearsome, Austin Meadows has really developed himself into a nice hitter. .275 batting average. He has won T24 times so far this year. You then have Aviciel Garcia and Tommy Pham. A pair of guys are in between a a 270 and a 275. In the case of Garcia, he's got 17 home runs. Tommy Pham has been able to go deep 20 times, so he's been doing a great job with his bat. you have got Travis DeArnault and G-Man Choi. They're picking it up. These two, along with William Adamas, are all in between a 250 and a 263 in the case of G-Man Choi. Kevin Kiermaier is hitting more around a 240 and Nathaniel Lowe, who's been up and down with this team. He was able to get a home run yesterday. He's hitting above a 300. Need a little bit more out of guys like Joey Wendell and Mike Zanino. Both these guys are hitting below a 220 and Guillermo Heredia is hitting right in that neighborhood as well, but the addition of Eric Sogard has been nice for this team. He's hitting above a 300. So this is a spot where I certainly think that the Rays are going to be able to take it to the Baltimore Orioles. I recognize that the Orioles were able to take two from them when they met up in Baltimore a few weeks ago. But I think that revenge is going to be on the mind of the Tampa Bay Rays. So looking at the run line here, if the total is eight and a half or greater, I'm going to be looking at an under. If you're seeing more of a total of eight, even a little bit lower, I highly, highly doubt that we'll be looking at it over. But as always, check back in the morning, my Twitter feed at GNR 41 because sometimes you get wonky things going on with the bullpen and everything like that. 917 of on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing also the Chicago White Sox. Ross Detweiler goes for the White Sox. Aaron Savali for the Cleveland Indians. Your total on this game is 10.5. The under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Indians, laying anywhere between minus 240 and minus 250. Meanwhile, your plus price here is going to be anywhere between plus 205 and plus 215 with the White Sox. Ross Detweiler. On the road has been a complete hot mess. This is a guy with an ERA north of 8 whenever he hits the road. And it doesn't matter whether he's at home, if he's on the road. He's on Planet Pluto. In regards to the home runs that he's given up, he's given up over 2.5 home runs per 9 innings. It just has not been going well for him in that regard. Meanwhile, with Aaron Zavali, this is a guy that has really been a lot better than his record would indicate. He's got a 2-3 record over the course of 6 starts, but a 196 ERA, a .9 whip, He's given out right around 1.8 walks per nine innings and just one home run in 36 and two-thirds innings. He does a great job of being able to keep the ball in play. He's getting right around 7.8 or so strikeouts per nine innings, but all in all, he has been doing a terrific job for the team. He's backed up by a pretty solid lineup with the Cleveland Indians. They certainly have been up and down. Yesterday, they only scored two runs, which means that today they're probably going to score like 12. you have got a couple guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base, and that includes Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana at the top of the lineup. Add those two in there with Mike Freeman, they're only between a 290 and a 296. In the case of Lindor, he has been able to supply some power with 25 plus home runs. Carlos Santana has been hitting his home runs as well. He has been playing his beat to 31 home runs. You've got Femio Reyes, who's got 33 home runs on the year, hitting right around a 250. Yasiel Puig hitting just above a 250. His home run count currently at a 24 as well. Jake Bowers is back in the lineup. Gotta think that he's going to be able to pick up his average as he, Greg Allen, Kevin Ploiecki, Yu Chang and Roberto Perez are all guys hitting a two thirty five or lower, but you have to like the fact that Jason Kipnis, a guy that was out of the lineup yesterday, has upped his average right around to two fifty after a slow start to the year. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, you actually do have some guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base, and it's all started by Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson has his batting average hovering right around a three ish He has been not really walking a lot, but the guy just rips the cover off the ball whenever he's up there at the dish. You then have Luis Garcia, Ryan Goins, both in between a two seventy and a .275. And then Yohan Moncada and Jose Abreu have both been the matchers for this team. In the case of Moncada, he's got a two eighty eight batting average. He's got over 20 home runs. He's fresh off the injured list. He's been a little bit shaky since then, but all in all, he's been providing some good wood. Meanwhile, with Abreu, 28 home runs, 103 RBI, James McCann hitting right around a 275 himself, and Eli Jimenez along with Yomer Sanchez are in between a 245 and a 260, and Jimenez has 20-plus home runs at a mingle ever since a very slow start to the year. Now hitting a 235 doesn't sound great, but he's heading in the right direction, but then you got Matt Scully, Ryan Cordell, and Wellington Castillo, all in below a 230, so that does leave a little bit of something to be desired, and I do think that Savali is going to be able to hold the White Sox down. The Indians' bullpen has looked a little bit shaky recently, but this is still the team with the best bullpen ERA all there in the big leagues, and I think that they're going to be very formidable against the White Sox, but I think that this is also a spot where Ross Setweiler is going to get destroyed. The White Sox, all in all, have a good bullpen, but when you need to get, like, five plus innings out of the bullpen, that is certainly not ideal. You have to get into those long relievers, and I think that's going to be the case in this one. So, for that reason, looking at the Indians on the run line and the total over. With regards to the over, we'd like to be able to get this as unjuiced as possible. Meanwhile, when you take a look at the run line, I'm currently seeing that at minus 130. We'd like to be able to get as favorable as a number as possible. That's a lot of juice to be laying. So I'd like to see it go down a little bit more, but going to be riding out both of those. 919, 920 on the betting rotation. You got the Toronto Blue Jays heading to Atlanta to face off against the Bravos. Mike Soroka goes for the Anliner Braves. Jacob Waggis Pack for the Toronto Blue Jays. This game is presently off the board. I have to think that the Blue Jays were going to be announcing a different starter because, according to the opening number, they were about a plus $2 underdog and the Anliner Braves were laying minus 240 what they totaled on this one of 9.5. If this total would be 9.5, I would be all aboard the under. I know that Waggis Pack been a little bit more shaky recently, but he has not given up more than three earned runs in all but one of his starts. So, he has been doing a very good job of being able to limit damage for the year. He's got a 3.93 ERA and in 55 innings. He's only given up seven home runs and 17 walks, so he's been very good. Meanwhile, with Mike Soroka, this is a guy that's been doing it all year long. He's given up right around a half a home run per nine innings, 10-3 record, 2.44 ERA. In the month of August, he was really able to find his seed legs, did not give up more than three earned runs in any one of his starts. Meanwhile, and for that matter, ever since the All-Star break. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start, and that was to the Washington Nationals, which obviously we all know what they're able to do. He's providing more length as well, which is huge because with the Atlanta Braves, their bullpen has been in the bottom half with regards to ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays, they've gotten some decent bullpen pitching. Ken Giles certainly was not able to provide that yesterday, and with the Blue Jays, they did have to expend a lot of arms because they did have to go to the bulk guys, and your big concern with the Toronto Blue Jays is batting average because yesterday in their starting lineup, they had two guys with a batting average above a .235, aside from Reese McGuire. Reese McGuire at the catcher spot, hitting a .283, but he's had a very, very limited amount of at-bats. The two guys that you can rely upon, Flager or Jr., he's hitting nearly .280, and Bo Bichette, a .328. Needless to say, they were unable to scrape across any home runs yesterday, but Justin Spoke, Rowdy Telez, Randall Gritchick, all these guys have some nice pop in the bat. Teoscar Hernandez has been doing a solid job as well, so you do have to like that, but then you need guys like Kavon Vigio... Billy McKinney, Brandon Jury, the just be able to find a way on if at all possible because the on-base percentage of so many of these guys, aside from Kevon Biggio, still below like a 275. That is just absolutely woeful. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. You've got one of the better lineups out there in the big leagues and Freddie Freeman, really the headliner. 38 home runs, 114 RBI, and his batting average is above a 300. I believe that he has the most RBI out there in the big leagues. He has been absolutely magical. Ozzie Albies and Ronald Cunha Jr. are a pair of guys hitting between a 284 and a 290 as well, in the is for Ronaldo Cunha Jr. At the leadoff spot, thirty-six home runs. Needless to say, that is pretty stinking good. You now have Brian McCann back in the fold. He, Josh Donaldson, and Dansey Swanson hitting between a two fifty-nine and a two sixty-five. In the case of Donaldson, he's got thirty-three home runs. Rafael Ortega has been giving the team a little bit of something. He's hitting a two forty-five, and then you've also got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. They took a chance on Billy Hamilton and a Denny Hatcheria for the year. These two guys are hitting below a two twenty-five, but you got to think that perhaps a change of scenery is going to be able to help them out. And I do think that this. This is a spot in which if the price is going to be $2, I'm going to have to take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Certainly going to be all aboard the under if the total is 9.5. I know that the Atlanta Braves lineup, as I just mentioned, very good, but I do like Wages back. I do like the overall bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays as well. This is one of these situations where if I'm seeing this at a little bit more of a reasonable line, going to be looking at the Rays on the run line. If I'm seeing a big plus price, going to be riding with the Toronto Blue Jays. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRS41 for set plays there. We move on to a game that currently does not have a total, but it does have sides, as it is going to be played at Wrigley Field. Nine twenty one, nine twenty two. the Chicago Cubs playing also the Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield going for the Seattle Mariners. Kyle Hendricks for the Chicago Cubs. If you're liking the Chicago Cubs, You're liking anywhere between minus 280 and minus $3. Meanwhile, the plus price here on the Mariners, anywhere between plus 235 and plus 250. I think Curtis Rogers gave the scouting report better than I ever could on Justice Sheffield. Justice Sheffield was hurt by a little bit of bad luck against the New York Yankees in his last game. The home run that he gave up to Gary Sanchez was very nearly foul. They had to review it and confirm that it was a home run, but with Kyle Hendricks, he has been absolutely lights out at home. ERA, South of two, he's given up like a half a home run per nine innings, so he certainly has been doing his job at home. All in all for the year, He's got a 9-9 record. He's been doing a good job of being the limit the walks. Less than two walks per nine innings. He just seems to be a little bit more comfortable at Wrigley Field. But I will say this. With the Chicago Cubs, zero runs against Milwaukee Brewers at home in their last two games. Needless to say, that is quite stunning. And this is a Chicago Cubs team that they seem to be going into a little bit of a rut at home. I believe that they've won just one out of their last six home games. They are now 45-24 and at home, which is obviously still magnificent. But you've also got a Seattle Mariners team that has the exact same record on the road as they do at home, 29-40. and 40. And as an underdog, the run line performance of the Mariners has actually been pretty good, 52-43. and 43. In that regard, with the Seattle Mariners, your big concern with this team, is the fact that they just don't have a whole lot of batting average in general. Domingo Santana has been out of the fold for this team. He had of the highest strikeout rates in the second half of the season, so that's not necessarily a big loss, but you take a look at some of these guys, the batting average of this team is very, very woeful, as Jake Fraley, Ryan Court, Keon Broxton, Mac Williamson, Bishop at the center field spot, Dylan Moore, and Daniel Vogelback all hitting a 220 or lower for this team. I will say that Vogelback is a 348 on base percentage. He's got 29 home runs. Thomas Murphy and Omar DeVias at the catcher spot have both been spectacular. They've got 35-plus home runs combined between them. Both of these guys are hitting above a 280. And Tim Lopez has really stepped up in the outfield. He's hitting a 290. Kyle Seager has also been spectacular. Over, I would say, the last 30 days, this guy has a double-digit amount of home runs. He's up to his batting average to .250. Malik Smith hitting a .242. He has the most stolen bases in the big leagues as well, so he's been doing a solid job there. D. Gordon hitting a .275. We all know about his wheel. And then with the Chicago Cubs, you've got the middle of the lineup that is very fearsome. But the guy that actually has the most home runs on this team is Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber really leaving something to be desired with his batting average. That is hovering right around a 230. But he does have 32 home runs. You then have Anthony Rizzo, Nick Cassianos, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant. All these guys, other than Cassianos, who because he was playing in Detroit, doesn't have as many home runs. All these guys have between 24 and 24. 30 home runs, and they're all hitting between a 282 and a 292. And for that matter, ever since Casianos has come over to the Chicago Cubs, he's hitting more in the realm of a 350 ever since he's come over, so he's been very good. Jason Hayward is seeing his batting average dip, though. He is now hitting below a 260. you got a lot of guys like David Bode, Addison Russell, Ian Happ. They're all hitting below a 245 as well, so you've got a couple slipping bats. Jonathan Lucroy at the catcher spot has been decent, and I will say Victor Carantini has really been able to step up for the team. He's now hitting a 275, so that is obviously. Obviously been a good sign. And the team has Albert Amora Jr. back. Should be able to give this team a little bit of a shot in the arm. And I will say this for the Cubs. Their bullpen gets a very bad rap. But all in all, it's a top 10 bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. And I will say, aside from the bulk guys, the Seattle Mariners bullpen recently has been very good as well. So I could see this being a little bit of a lower scoring game. If you're seeing some harebrained total because the wind is blowing out, certainly going to be looking at an under. I know that Justice Sheffield has a 794 ERA, but I think that's a little bit misleading. I think he's going to be able to deliver a good start here. I think he's going to be able to get the Mariners a victory. So looking at the Mariners and an under here, currently we can see about on both of those. And the total could obviously change based on the wind situation. If you're seeing like a total of 7 with the wind blowing in, I'd probably be looking at that over. So as always, jump back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Junior one for set plays there. And we wrap things up with 923 and 924 on the bank rotation. It is the Houston Astros, and they are on the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser goes for the Milwaukee Brewers. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole on the bump for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, anywhere between minus 172 and minus 175 is the price there. Meanwhile, the plus price on the broker, anywhere between plus 155 and plus 161. This is a spot where I just cannot do it with the Milwaukee Brewers. I will say that Adrian Hauser has been doing a much better job as a starter for the Milwaukee Brewers. But Garrett Cole has allowed more than two two earned runs just twice since the beginning of the month of June. He has been absolutely lights out. Meanwhile, with the Milwaukee Brewers, I know that they were able to take the last two with the Chicago Cubs. But... They did so scoring a grand total of six runs in those two games. You do have that bad, bad man, Christian Yellich. He is right now providing a little bit of everything for the team. 330 batting average. His home run count now at a 42. He's got over 90 RBI. One of the top ACOs out there in the big leagues, but you got a lot of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. Trent Grisham, Manny Pina, Orlando Arcia, Travis Shaw, All guys are currently hitting a 233 or lower for this bunch. I will say you've got quite a few guys hitting between a 245 and a 260 as well. Yasmani Grandal, Eric Thames, the currently on the injured list, Mike Boustakis, along with Hernan Perez and. Ben Gamble, and Corey Spangenberg as well. Owing oh, in that neighborhood as well, but you're not getting a whole lot of power outside of maybe Eric Thames from time to time, especially with Mike Lusaka's out of the fold. He's got 33 home runs, and he had been hitting right around a two fifty-five ish so him not being in the fold really hurts this team, but I will also say this for the Brewers. The bullpen has been highly inconsistent and you can't rely on Josh Hader in this game because he wound up pitching each of the last two games against the Chicago Cubs and they had to really go with the wholesale approach. It's Gio Gonzalez only pitched three innings yesterday. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros, who is not performing for this team? I know that they were only able to muster Two runs against the Baltimore, against the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday. But all in all, this is a lineup that you certainly don't want to be going up against. George Springer is hitting right around a 290. he He's got 28 home runs. Jose Altuve, he's went deep 25 times. His batting average is right around to 300 itself. The man that was actually the hero for the team is only hitting a .207 with two home runs. That would be Alex Tor. That would be Abraham Toro. But even he's doing a little bit of a good job for this team. Oled Diaz, Josh Reddick. These guys are in between a 264 and a 275. Jordan Alvarez hitting a 320. He's getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. Michael Brantley's hitting a 330. Alex Bregman has over 30 home runs. He's hitting a 290. You've got Gurriel who's got a batting average above a 300. He's got nearly 90 RBI. He's got 25 plus home runs. The list goes on and on with Houston Astros. Bullpen has been a little bit shaky recently, but you don't need the bullpen when you get guys like Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander going 9 plus innings, and I do think that the Brewers are going to be whiffing a whole lot against the Houston Astros. I do think that Adrian Hauser, who I mentioned a little bit earlier is going to be able to give a good start in each of his last four starts. He has not just been good but has been terrific giving up one earned run in every one of them. That includes two starts against the St. Louis Cardinals and a road start against Washington Nationals. So this is a guy that's really doing well. I think that he's going to be able to keep this game out in front of him, but I do think that the Brewers' bullpen going to be giving up a couple runs here, and I just think that Garrett Cole is going to be able to shut down a Milwaukee Brewers team that, without Mike Musakis in the fold, doesn't really have much outside of Christian Yelich. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the run line here of the Houston Astros, and I'm going to be taking this total sort of under. With regards to the under, I'd like to be able to lay a little bit less juice here. Meanwhile, the run line of the Houston Astros, currently at minus one hundred five, going to be playing both of those, but looking for better numbers on each, and that will do it for this edition of MOB overtime betting. Hopefully, you guys are having a great Labor Day, and a big thanks to our man Curtis Rogers for laboring with me on the second segment to help break down some of today's games, and just always being a great guest in general. He works for seven ten ESPN out there in the fine city of Seattle. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it into my timeline not my DMs at 41 is the timeline for that and let's make today a successful profitable and fun one I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in